Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and today I'm welcoming Tom Schultz to the show. Tom is an author, filmmaker, publisher, and innovator in resources for churches. He is the director of the documentary feature film When God Left the Building, which we'll be talking more about here shortly. He is the co author, along with his wife Joni, of many books, including Why Nobody Wants to Go to Church Anymore, The One Thing, and Don't Just Teach, Reach. His blog is called Holy Soup. Tom founded the international multimedia company Group Publishing in 1974 and continues to serve as its president. Group publishes books, Bibles, and educational resources for churches and Christians around the world. All right, welcome to the show, Tom Schultz. Uh, What else would you like our listeners to know about you? Well, in our uh, work with Group Publishing, we serve hundreds of thousands of churches uh, nationwide and around the world, and uh, it helps us to keep a pulse on what's happening in the church today, because uh, these are these are the people who we deal with day in and day out, and it uh, helps us to, to keep that close watch. In addition, up until COVID anyway, we sponsored a uh, an event called Future of the Church, mm. and uh, that attracted people from around the country to come here and, and pause and take a look at what's happening and where we see things coming a few years out. So that uh, that has really helped us too to to uh, keep an eye on what's happening in the church. So always happy to talk about uh, the trends and what we see happening in the church. Uh, I'll tell, that's in Loveland, right? Yep. We're in Loveland, Colorado. Yeah. Tom and I are both Colorado residents. I'll have to check that out if that comes back, hopefully post-COVID, right? Yeah. Well, share if you would with our listeners kind of about your faith journey, how you came to the faith and what that looks like today. Since we do a lot of work with uh, children and uh, young people, we're always encouraging them to to uh, encourage a good environment, good Christian environment for kids to grow up in, whether that's in the home or the church or wherever. And uh, we're looking to to have that faith spark start very early. And that that was the case for me. I grew up mm-hmm. in a great Christian home, and uh, I I can't remember when I did not have a faith in God when I did not have a relationship with Jesus. It goes so far back into my childhood. My parents were very active in the church, and and uh, my dad was Sunday school teacher and president of the congregation and everything very, very active. So my story goes back before my memory. Hmm. And how has your faith grown and evolved to today? It uh, continues to be uh, an evolving story. I'd say that uh, probably one of the different factors today, as opposed to earlier on, is uh, encapsulated in the Mary and Martha story, hmm. where before, particularly in my work here, uh, my focus was really on serving God and serving the church, serving other people. And uh, in 
in later years, as as my faith has evolved and grown, I think I've switched over more to the the Mary side of things, where mm-hmm. my emphasis and my focus is really on the relationship with Jesus, even more so than being the Martha and the servant. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I'm curious what faith tradition you grew up in, if you're willing to share. I grew up in the Lutheran Church. Ah, okay, yeah. Great. And uh, what are some spiritual practices or uh, spiritual disciplines that you find meaningful today that sustain your faith? Well, we at group produced a resource called Friends of God a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was personally involved in that uh, resource, and it's uh, something that I think can help a lot of people. It's a discipleship experience, we call it. And uh, when we think of discipleship, one of the, as we began to dig into that, one of the things that we noticed was uh, in the church, when you mention that term, discipleship, and you ask people, how do you promote discipleship? The answer that usually comes back is, well, we have a six-week course, or we have an eight-week Bible study. Mm-hmm. And uh, we quickly determined, you know, that, that's not really producing the results we want. Even when we ask those same people, how's it going? How would you say your discipleship is working and growing in your church. And the vast majority of them say, well, not too good. So obviously that's not working. So we switched and and really focused on the relationship uh, with Christ. Uh, It it comes out of uh, Jesus' quote of, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Mm -hmm. Well, if that's what he called his disciples, how can we develop that in other people? So um, that that then involves a whole different set of spiritual practices. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas before we might have thought, well, I need to accumulate more knowledge. I need to learn more Bible facts. I need to go to one more Bible study. And the, the answer, I think, is more in how do we develop a deeper relationship, a real relationship, not an academic relationship, but a real relationship with God. So uh, one of the things that we do in, in that uh, resource, I think we'll get at your question, uh, we, we ask people to imagine Jesus sitting in the room with you. Look at a chair. Imagine Jesus in that chair. Observe what he's wearing. Observe how he's acting and responding and and if he's leaning forward in his chair or whatever, just imagine Jesus sitting there right beside you. And now, engage in a conversation. Forget what you've been told about what prayer is. Engage in a conversation with Jesus. That, for me, has been a spiritual practice that has changed uh, my faith life in seeing Jesus in that way uh, as a friend. Hmm. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Well, I wanted to have Tom on to talk about uh, a movie that, or a film, I should say, I guess, uh, that group publishing uh, produced a few years back. And uh, technically, I think the film came out in 2014, but it seems like just even watching the trailer again yesterday, it seems like it could come out next month and still be just as timely and just as relevant. Uh, The film is uh, When God Left a Building. Um, I'll have to provide a link in the show notes for those who... I want to find it online. It's it's still out there, still available for for DVD and then for um, showing to a church or or your group. But if you would, Tom, kind of talk about um, you know how the film came to be, what inspired it, 
what got you passionate about it? Well, it grew out of the research that we have been doing on the church and what's happening in the church in the church in America of late. And uh, we first came out with a book called "Why Nobody Wants to Go to Church Anymore," and that was based around uh, some discoveries that we made and through research of why people are moving away from the church and what we can do about that. And in the course of that, we ran across uh, a church in upstate New York that uh, kind of characterized what was happening in the church today. It was a fascinating look inside of that church. So we decided to to document what was happening there. So we kind of got in midstream of, of what was happening in that particular congregation. And the story of the film is really based around the, the fading of the American institutional church, how it lost its significance, its prominence in the community, and uh, really in many ways lost its way. And this this church in New York went from an attendance years ago of 900 to at that time an attendance of around 35 or or 40. Yeah. And uh that that story is an intriguing one of of what happened and we follow that story in the film. In addition, another story that we follow in the film was was what happened to a corporation that happened to be based uh, near that near that church in Rochester, New York, and that is Kodak, the Eastman Kodak Company. That story is a fascinating story of what happened to a once giant, influential corporation and how they fell and failed. And we compared those elements of of falling and failure to what was happening in the church. So the film goes back and forth between Kodak and the church to see if we can learn anything about uh, what causes that kind of collapse. It's a fascinating look, I think. You know, I forgot about the Kodak aspect of the film. Um, I'm probably just old enough to really have the cultural memory of the significance of Kodak. Uh, but for those perhaps younger or unfamiliar, I mean, would, would Apple be too strong of a comparison? With what's, what's the kind of cultural comparison in today's context, you think would be equivalent to just how significant Kodak was. Yeah, Apple could be a, a good example. I mean, Kodak was ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Everybody used Kodak film. Everybody had uh, a little Kodak camera. It was uh, the the basis of photography and and imaging around the world. And uh, they had held that position for years and years and years. A huge company. And then along came digital photography, quietly starting up. And Kodak made the decision at that point to uh, not go down the digital path, but to cling to its analog, film-based, paper-based approach to photography. And uh, we all know what happened after that fork in the road. And it's it's an incredible story to watch. What many people don't know, and what we what we showed in the film, is that Kodak itself was the inventor right, of right. digital photography. They could have had it all, mm-hmm. but uh, they walked away from it, feeling that uh, that could that could threaten their bread and butter of the analog approach to to photography, and uh, that's what killed them. So, 
again, there's so much, there's the film that I think is so powerful uh, that I really encourage folks to, to watch it at least themselves. If you're a pastor or church leader and your, your church is going through any kind of spiritual or growth struggles, existential struggles. Right. Um, but for me, I think what was most challenging, Tom, um, so in the, in the introductory scenes, I think it is, and you can see it in the, in the trailer too, is this kind of a, a church closing and there's the auction and the church that's closing is in uh, the tradition that I'm ordained in, the, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. It's one of those churches that's closing, I think, somewhere in Missouri, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, I'm reminded like um, that one of the, the initial kind of church growth gurus, Don McGavran, was himself a Disciples of Christ missionary and minister. Uh, yet, you know, and again, broadly speaking, you know, no kind of church growth movement is perfect. There's there's the uh, challenges and uh, distractions, perhaps, or limitations and everything. But that was uh, a, a resource within the tradition that largely, broadly speaking, is kind of being ignored. And I think it kind of goes to your Kodak example, uh, where there's kind of like ha- having the next thing, but kind of ignoring it to cling on to the past. Yeah. I think the the church has... Uh, a lot of issues. There are a lot of reasons for the decline of the American church. And we dig into that in the film as well as uh, in the book. But uh, what's been interesting, I think, the past couple of years is what's happened through COVID. And uh, when we take a look at where the church is today, we might uh, we might blame some of the problems or all of the problems on, on what happened with COVID. Right. Well, COVID was simply an accelerant of what was already happening in the church. And COVID came along, and all of the factors that we talk about in the film and in the book uh, continued to be very true during COVID times, but it was just accelerated. And and the, the decline and uh, loss of influence for the church has been magnified and and made clearer by what we see happening with COVID. Yeah. So you, you mentioned kind of the story kind of revolving around this church in upstate New York, if I remember correctly, called Park Church. And um, there's there's two things that really stood out to me from that church and, and a third, uh, another aspect separately. But I think the most obvious one was just kind of the spiritual malaise is the word that came to mind for me. Um, you know, you have an interview uh, with a former pastor kind of, um, you know, questioning his faith almost completely, which again, all in defense of pastors as a pastor. I mean, that happens, but I think, you know, it, it can be a challenge when the spiritual leader or at least the formal leader is completely questioning their faith. You, you highlight a member who's talking about being the least religious church going person. <laughs> I mean, again, I, I definitely like proudly identify as someone uh, who, who works and serves in the mainline Protestant tradition. That being said, like, I think there's, there's needs to be a spiritual emphasis in churches uh and then and then refusal just a refusal to change but talk first about kind of the the spiritual malaise and I, and and I'll say this is my opinion tom like I don't think that's a a thing that's just exclusive to to mainline Protestant churches I think we find that in all kinds of churches so talk about that absolutely right yeah but just picking up on that many people especially when this uh became broadly noticed, this decline of the American church. Many people said, it. well, well this is a mainline problem. It, it's not 
a particular problem within a particular branch mm-hmm. of the Christian church in, in America. This goes across the board. And the, uh, the, the problems, the, the uh, symptoms, and uh, what's wrong, uh, those factors go across the board. So you're absolutely right. At this church in upstate New York, Park Church, yes, there, there was this malaise that had crept in over decades, really. And uh, it, was, it was sad to see. You could, you could even see it in the architecture of what used to be and, and the people who were accommodated in the past and, and now what it's uh, shrunk to. But I think what's at the core of that is uh, the church simply lost its way, its focus, its reason for being. Mm-hmm. We dig into that in the uh, in the film, and and here's where there's this comparison with Kodak. Kodak had the same problem; they didn't remember what business they were in. Yeah, and that's what that's what eventually killed them. And this church didn't remember what business they were in, why they existed, how you would even define. Uh, their church or what a church is or what that church is. Uh, they had lost track of that. In, in the film, there's a segment that I, that I love where the pastor of that church, when I asked him, well, what's the mission of your church? He couldn't remember. He yeah. kept trying to think of a couple <laughs> of phrases, a couple of keywords out of it. And he, he couldn't remember the mission of their church. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I sometimes think that people who can just rattle off their mission statement maybe maybe a little bit too canned, but I think, you know, I think broadly speaking, we'd agree we, we'd like our members, at least folks who are highly vested, to have some sense of like what we're about, right? And I love the Kodak analogy because I don't remember if it's if it was the CEO or one of the, the former execs you were interviewing, but they talk about, you know, we he was basically saying like you know, we weren't sure if we were a chemical chemical company, were we a film company, were a photography company. And I think, I mean, I again, in my perspective, I think this can happen to really any kind of organization, but especially churches when when and they they get distracted. You know, are are we a are we a are we a nonprofit seeking to do social good? You know, are we a religious organization? Are we a, are we a growth at all cost organization? Like, what are we about? Exactly right, and. uh Today, even when you ask people outside the church, what is the church? The answer that you get from people both inside the church and outside the church, what is church? The most common answer that you get, the most honest answer that you get is it's an event. It's a weekly event Hmm. on Sunday morning. That's what church is. And that is basically where the church has gone off the rails in this country. Yeah. Um, another uh, aspect highlighted by the Park Church, or per- perhaps lowlighted by the Park Church, was just kind of this refusal to change. And when I first watched that as a pastor of of a smaller church, but also very similar in their kind of stubbornness, I just felt so bad for that pastor. Um, but I wonder, like, that kind of refusal to change. I mean, what, where do you, what do you do with that? I mean, do you know what I'm saying? That too was a uh, very emblematic of what happened to Kodak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a refusal to change. We tell the story in the film about uh, this engineer who's featured in the, in the film who actually invented the digital mm-hmm. camera. 
And, and he talks about how he introduced this to the executives, the digital camera, his, his basic uh, prototype model, and how they saw it. They saw the potential for it, but they said, no, put it away because it threatens too much their legacy business. Yeah. And uh, that is what's going on in the church as well. That's what's at the core of this fear of change is, well, we'll lose what we have built up for so many years. If we make these changes, we're going to lose some people because they won't like it. That's what they're used to is the old way. So the this fear of losing part of the status quo paralyzes people to make necessary change. Are you familiar? I'm hopefully I'm remembering it correctly. The Shirky principle, uh, basically, this idea that all organizations really just exist like their most basic purpose is just to help keep or no, it's actually I'm saying it wrong. It's to create the problem that um, keeps them in existence. So, uh, but there's 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 certainly this similar uh, aspect of organizations kind of underlying existence is basically just to perpetuate their own existence, right? Yeah. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, I think that tells a story too of what's happening in the church. Yeah, uh, one other thing. Now, this didn't come from the park church per se, but I think you highlight like a police officer in the film, um, and he, he he says something like, "I just can't bring my friends to work, or excuse me, to church." Um, and I think that's challenging because, you know, this is something you kind of highlight in the film. Like, church has become, in some aspect incredibly seeker sensitive, but it, you know, in other ways, there's such a, like a, an in culture or a, you know, a different, almost countercultural context that the, the police officer felt like it wouldn't, there was no way to translate like, Hey, come to my church and you'll fit in and understand what's happening. And I think that's especially challenging today, in my opinion, for many uh, traditional uh, worship churches where it's just a complete uh, different countercultural thing. Talk more about that. Yeah, I think there's there's two things happening there. One is, uh, is a church the place where a non-church person would want to come? Mm-hmm. And then there's the other factor of, well, once there, is there something there that actually pulls them in or pushes them away? Yeah. And uh, to the first, there's, it seems less and less draw for people uh, to the church. The product that's being presented, and it's wrapped in this this idea of this weekly event, mm-hmm. uh, if that's what we're drawing people to. And th- th- believe me, in our, in our work, th- we run into this every day where the focus, the scorecard, everything is, is focused on that weekly event. Yeah. And what your numbers were mm-hmm. uh, coming out of that weekly event. Well, that weekly event in a place, no matter what you do with it, uh, is no longer uh, the attractant that it might have been to people generations ago. So uh, that simply uh, isn't working like it might have in the past. And then once people get there, uh, what do they feel? What do they experience? And uh, that we've done a lot of study on as well. And by far, the number one reaction that people have and the number one reason that people cite that they may leave or they may be repelled by the church is 
a sense of being judged mm. uh, that comes across in uh, indelible ways. Mm-hmm. And again, since COVID, you might think that, well, maybe maybe that's kind of softened. But no, it's been exacerbated. And some of that exacerbation has come from what's happening culturally around us because this whole this whole idea of judgment, of judging the the other side or judging people or an individual, uh, as we know in our culture, in politics, in society, whether it's with culture wars or whatever, uh, the idea of judging someone else, of, of taking this moral supremacy over someone, uh, that uh, – that's on steroids today, mm-hmm. and the church has been sucked right into it, and it's it's repelling people. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder. I wonder, Tom. Do you think, in some ways, there's been? Um, I've been reading uh, about and talking to other pastors about how you know through COVID they've kind of there's kind of been this forced kind of uh, diluting of things the church is doing. Like, do you think? Um, in some ways, there's almost been getting like a getting back to basics. Do you think COVID represents, you know, coming out of COVID or whatever this post-COVID, you know, thing is going to be here with with the with the the virus? Um, do you think it represents like can it be a, potentially a good thing where churches can kind of like let go of things that they're doing that are not helpful uh, and kind of refocus and reframe? Well, yes, I think that that opportunity is there, and I think that uh, there is a great opportunity that has come out of COVID for us in the church to reevaluate everything that we're doing, yeah, and reevaluate who we are, and uh, to, in a sense, start over. It, it presents a tremendous opportunity to ask those questions and and to do some things that might have been harder to do uh, a few years ago. However. Uh, the reaction that many churches have taken to COVID has been double down, disappointing uh, to me. Yeah, doubling down on that. And uh, what I've described is this weekly spectator event. When COVID came, uh, there were so many churches that uh, immediately knee jerk jumped into, well, that is our focus. That's what we do. That's what the church is, is a weekly spectator event. How can we transform that into something that can, if they've locked our doors and we can't have people come <laughs> to our physical location, how can we transform that weekly spectator event to an online event? So that's what everybody did, and they jumped into that, some better than others. And uh, yes, there were some who, who were inclined to a passive experience. They, they tuned in for a passive online experience. Uh, experience. But there were others who understood that uh, the true church is a relational thing, Mm -hmm. and uh, their relational heart uh, for what church meant to them uh, was gone, and it was substituted with this simply more spectator uh, approach. Uh, Those people Many of them have not returned because uh, they drifted away during that time because the church, even its online uh, iteration, did not satisfy what their longing was uh, being a relational uh, collection of believers. Yeah. Well, um, 
I really want to encourage folks to check out the film. You know, if if we haven't whetted your taste enough, your interest about, and it, you know, it is definitely a discouraging film. I think I I want to say, but uh, there are some signs of hope in the film. That's what I'd also like to highlight. Um, I think one thing that I'm curious about is I think what was it in Dallas, if I remember correctly, where you highlight like this this kind of like a group of believers that met like an apartment building. Can you talk more about that example? Yeah. Uh, it's a story of an uh, organization called Mission Arlington. Okay. So it's in Arlington, Texas, uh, kind of in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And uh, this ministry started, oh, it's like 35 years ago. And uh, the the leader still today is a woman named Tilly Bergen. And she's like 86, I think, today. Wow. And she continues on, and it's it's an incredible ministry. They they have taken the approach of uh, ministering to people no matter what their needs are across uh, the metro area. And in terms of gathering, their gathering is in over 350 locations wow. around the metro area, mostly in homes or community centers or whatever. It's primarily lay-led. Uh, in in these gatherings, but the people know one another. They're accountable to one another. They love one another. They keep track of of one another. And uh, that is well, it's it, it's one of the largest churches in America that no one realizes. Right. Uh, thousands and thousands of people every week. But I think they've found some ways to approach church and and ways of defining what church is that uh, are inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another example that I think um, comes from, from y'all at group is the, the life life tree cafe. I've done this a little bit in some context, talk more about that and kind of, you know, what's the, the kind of philosophy behind that. Life tree cafe uh, was, it came about uh, over 10 years ago now as uh, an outreach to the community, especially for people who uh, may not be the type of person who is likely to enter into a church or a church service. And it, uh, Lightry Cafe brings up current stories, current things that people are dealing with, and uh, through video vignettes and so on, uh, helps people to uh, find a Christian approach to these things that that come at us in life, and uh, it's it's designed to happen in small settings. Picture a a setting that feels like a Starbucks, where people can sit around small tables and talk about these things that matter. And uh, there is a a live person who uh, directs the hour. It's an hour long experience, and uh, throw some questions out to people to talk about at their table. So it's highly relational and highly uh, individualized to what's happening with those people at that table and, and brings them around to focus on, well, what might God have to say about these things that we see happening around us? And uh, it, uh, it's been uh, uh, an incredible journey and experience for us to, to watch what has happened with that through the years. We've often said around here at group that uh, it was another one of the ideas that uh, we've had, which there've been many, 
that uh, we felt we've been ahead of our time. Yeah. And uh, Life Tree Cafe uh, had that uh, originally come out right before COVID. Uh, that probably would have been uh, just the perfect timing for it. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I thought the same thing, Tom. Uh, thinking about this, your film, like, you know, if it came out like six, seven years later, it'd be like, you know, all over social media. Um, but I think what your these examples kind of highlight, uh, if I'm hearing correctly, is kind of like three principles that I think uh, can be uh, thought about and 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 put into practice: relationality, interactiveness, and then kind of relevant. And and I kind of contrast that to kind of what you're talking about with this kind of really just observing and and watching kind of a, a church context. Do you think? Like that kind of those three principles in a in a smaller nature is really kind of a, a future path for church. Yeah, I, I think you've nailed it. Uh, we use we use an acronym around here called Real R E A L, and the R is relational. Uh, our our approach to ministry has to be relational, and that that relational comes down to person to person, one on one kind of relational. The E stands for experiential. That uh, it's more important and more impactful when we do rather than simply passively watch or listen. The um, A is applicable. Another way of saying that is relevance. That it, it it's got to to deal with things that I'm dealing with in in my own life right now uh, in order for it to be impactful. And the L is uh, learner based and lifelong. Uh, by that we mean that uh, we're not basing a ministry around the interests or giftedness of the teacher or preacher. We're basing it around how the learner is wired. Well, as as professional clergy, I guess I, I'm kind of mixed feelings <laughs> on all that. Uh, but it does seem like more and more a like the I know in many mainline circles we talk about how it seems like. The age of the the kind of professional clergy seems to be nearing an end, um, and it, certainly if we think about these models of smaller churches, house churches that uh, around, if if you understand the term like lay leadership, seems to be a, a future. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's uh, that's one of the trends that we'll see is uh, lay leadership, if not bivocational leadership. And uh, that, again, when you take a look at that example that we talked about earlier from Arlington, Texas, uh, that's one of their keys. And they work a lot on training those lay leaders. And I think we're, we're entering into a time where we're, we're switching the focus from this uh, weekly event focus, which it, within that the major focus there, the major investment of time and attention there is on what? The sermon. Mm-hmm. And so your lead pastor, your teaching pastor, your senior pastor spends, uh, in many cases, the majority of their time on that speech. So we're, we're switching from that, that dedication from that to how can I train, equip, and nurture these lay people who who are doing the real ministry, uh, one-on-one, relationally. So my time is, is much better invested equipping, training, nurturing them than it is in 
uh, preparing a stage presentation. Yeah. You know, I think about it this way, Tom, like uh, in the Catholic church, there's seven sacraments, right? And I, I couldn't name them off the top of my head. Um, and certainly in Protestant churches, at least most Protestant churches wouldn't use the term sacrament, um, ordinance, whatever. Um, some some churches call them different things. But traditionally, it's what, like baptism and Lord's Supper, right? It, it's been my observation, at least, that in many evangelicalist churches, like the, the two sacraments, so to speak, is the sermon, like you said, and then like the musical worship, right? And what's what's interesting is, at least as I have observed it, when they do have a baptism or the, you know take communion, it's almost like an awkward like we don't know where to fit this in. <laughs> um, so I think it's I appreciate what you're saying there about a re refocusing of like what is really the most vital thing here? Is it you know the the twenty thirty forty minute sermon or message or talk, or is it investing in relationship building and mentoring and discipling? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, <clears throat> the discipleship. Uh, minister at, at our church uh, came by. He's fairly new, and he came by and visited uh, my wife and I here in our office a couple of weeks ago. And he asked an interesting question. He said, well, what do you think I should be focusing my time on? What's what's going to be most effective as the discipleship pastor to uh, to do? And my immediate answer to his question was, do this do this more. Hmm. Come visit your people and and have a conversation, have a friendly conversation on their turf. That's one of the best things you can do to promote discipleship. On their turf. Yeah, writing that down there, on their turf. I think that's a great way to say it. Um, Well, before we take a break, let me ask you two more questions. One is, you know, I, I think since the film came out, I've kind of checked up on the the park church in New York a couple of times just to kind of see what's happened. It seemed like, it seemed like after the film came out, there was some like revitalization efforts and just looking the other day, it seemed like it was kind of like, Hmm. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't know what you want to say about that. I don't want to say maybe, I don't know, thoughts about churches trying to go through a revitalization effort, you know, in lieu of park church. They've tried a lot of different things. First of all, uh, the pastor featured in the film, Christy Wareham, uh, I don't want to give too much away of, of what happens to him during uh, the filming, but uh, right now, just uh, heard from him a couple of days ago, he has now uh, taken on a new assignment with the Peace Corps in Morocco. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's where Christy is. When you take a look at uh, what's happened to Park Church since then, They've gone through uh, a number of pastors, leaders. Uh, they now currently have a, an interim pastor there once again. And uh, I looked in uh, just in the past week to their uh, the recording of their of their service on YouTube, and uh, you can look back through the past uh, few Sundays. And what you can see, looking from where the camera is at the ba- back of the sanctuary. Uh, which takes a pretty good wide view of of uh, the space there. It's uh, typically six to eight people who are in attendance on uh, a Sunday morning. Hmm. And uh, they recently reported as of the beginning of this year that they had uh, 34 members, who they called pledging members at this point, uh, pledging a total of about $50,000 a year, and their expenses are four times that. So 
they they seem to continue to struggle. Yeah. So I mean, perhaps a fair word, a fair word of warning that you know there sometimes change doesn't always work. I guess right. Some communities. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you'd agree with this, Tom. Um, another leader I had on the podcast suggested something like the fact, something to the point that, you know, some churches just, they need to die for new life to happen. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably true of any institution, any organization that, uh, for some, there comes a point where, uh, the best thing you can do is to let something die. That's uh, certainly true with with churches, and many are dying, dissolving, being combined in with other churches, and so on. And that's not uh, uh, it's not all bad in the big scheme of things right. of of what the church is and where the church needs to go. Well, you've been in Christian ministry working with a lot of leaders for a long time. Uh, do you have any quick advice for for pastors or leaders, you know, going forward here? As I look forward. You know, many people, even uh, when we were going around the country in theaters showing the film, we'd have a question and answer time afterwards. And uh, a common question from people was, well, what do you see for the future? What, what is, do you have hope for uh, the church? And my answer was, uh, well, I don't have a lot of hope for what the church is today surviving hmm. into tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have a lot of hope and enthusiasm for what the church can become and transition into. And I feel honored and blessed to be here on this earth during a time when there is such a great transition happening. And I think God's hand is in this transition and it, uh, God is leading us into something new and different. And we have to have the courage and the openness and the willingness to follow uh, that direction into the future. I think as we look to the future, we the, the key is to look at it with fresh eyes, not simply how do we fix this thing that's kind of broken, but how do we, in effect, start over? If we could start over today, what would that look like? What would the church be? And uh, I think that's going to require encouraging a different breed of leader. Hmm. Uh, It's going to take a different type of person to lead us in the future. The old styles and types of leader and leadership that have worked for the church in the past are not going to be those that uh, will work for us in the future. So what do I mean by that? What is a profile of that, that future oriented leader? And, and I think it's, it's touching on some of the things we've talked about already today of, of, of being a true disciple maker, understanding what a disciple is and what discipleship is. It's going to take someone who I would call a relational architect somebody who's really good at that of relationships. Uh, It's going to take someone who's a conversation artist, Mm. somebody who who really knows the art of of conversation and can promote that within a congregation. Uh, It's going to be somebody who is a a friend maker, who really understands friendship and and how to process that. Uh, That's different from some of what we've seen in the past. We we had a conference here at, at group. Uh, some years ago, 
And uh, there was a pastor uh, from across the country who was here, and we got into talking about friendship. And uh, we asked a question of him, do you have close friendships, either within or outside of the, uh, the congregation? And uh, his immediate answer was, no, uh, friendship is just a constant stream of paper cuts. Wow. Mm. And uh, that, that's not the kind of leader that we need for tomorrow. We need somebody who, who, who is a friend maker. Right. And a matchmaker, somebody who can put, uh, knows how to put two, in, uh, two people together. I'm not talking about romantic matching. Yeah, I'm just yeah. talking about friend matching. Somebody who knows how to put that together. Hey, I want to introduce you to somebody who I think you'd really click with. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the kind of skill uh, we need in the leader of tomorrow. And lastly, I'd say uh, this leader needs to be a great, tremendous listener. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People want to be heard. Let's take a quick break, uh, come back with some closing questions. Again, the film is When God Left the Building. Uh, we didn't even get a chance to talk about the book. There's the book, uh, Why Nobody Wants to Go to Church. I think you have like a like a discussion resource with that, if I remember correctly right. I've gone through. So let's take a break and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Tom Schultz. Uh, Tom, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate the conversation and your insights. Uh, you can take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to. Uh, but if you're Pope for a day, what would you like to do with that day? I, I think I'd be interested in encouraging and, and pushing uh, those of us in the church, both leaders and uh, lay people, to uh, start afresh, to imagine what uh, the church can and should be, to redefine or to reclaim the original definition of what the church is, and then to figure out how to go after that and to build that into the future. Hmm. A theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life? You know, I'm I'm always drawn to uh, the character of Peter, uh, who was such a regular guy. Uh, I can imagine him uh, putting his foot in his mouth more than once, but uh, he had this God-inspired risk-taking ability to take uh, great risks on behalf of the Lord. And uh, he, uh, in ways more so than some of the others, I think, was uh, a permanent world changer from his approach. So I I admire him, and I I look forward in eternity to meeting him and uh, hearing his stories. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> He's got plenty of time to tell him, that's for sure. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Current time and place, I think we've, uh, we're have we coming through this huge worldwide event of, of COVID, which affected the world in so many ways and also affected the church in profound ways. You know, there have been people who have observed that uh, uh, in culture at large, but particularly in uh, the church or in in the spiritual world, that there are world events, certain things that happen that you can look back and see that those things tend to occur about every 500 years. Yeah. And we were due. Yeah. I mean, the last big shakeup in the church was uh, the Reformation. Uh, 
And that was 500 years ago. And so those of us who have been kind of waiting and watching uh, when COVID came along, uh, in some ways it was no surprise because it was it was 500 years after that event that this earth-shaking event of COVID came about. And it is it has already caused some big changes in the church. But I think when people look back today, they're going to say, well, that was the time uh, that the church uh, really changed into something new and different. And uh, one of the leading sparks for that was COVID. Yeah. Reminds me of a, of a, unfortunately she's no longer with us, but Phil Stickle, who you have as a, uh, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, credit. What? I can't think of the word, um, but talking good about talking good about the film. Unfortunately she's passed, but that, she's done a lot of work on that whole kind of 500 year thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you you talked a little about your hopes for the future. Do you have anything else you want to share there? You know, one of the things that we've we've touched on that uh, I I would characterize as a hope, and that is that we understand that uh, bigger is not the goal, mm-hmm. and that uh, as we look to the future, uh, the the benefits and the outcomes that we can have being smaller as a community of believers, uh, that we are gathering in, in smaller units is something uh, that I'm hopeful for and is to be celebrated. And I think that's something that uh, can give hope to uh, many in the church today who have felt intimidated by the flashy so-called success of the megachurch. Uh and and I think hope needs to be given and encouraged uh, to those who have simply been good shepherds along with their smaller flocks through the years that uh, it is being revealed now and will be revealed more in the future that uh, being a shepherd of a smaller, manageable flock is a strength. Hmm. Those are those are good words to leave with pastors. I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, I'll make sure to include some uh, links in the show notes for uh, the film. Where else can people find out about you and connect with you? Yeah, the, the film, by the way, uh, you can uh, uh, get the DVD through Amazon as well as you can rent the film and watch it uh, through Amazon as well. And uh, people can find out uh, more about me at group.com. Just group.com, you'll find out more about what we do and uh, our work, as well as uh, my blog, which is called holysoup.com. Great. Well, Tom, I really appreciate your time. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I always leave folks with a word of peace, so may God's peace be with you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.